Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply. Hello there and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, this week, either you guys didn't understand the picture and didn't want to hazard a guess, or people had just decided not to bother with Facebook at the moment, which, to be honest, I don't blame you, there's a part of me that can't be bothered with Facebook at the moment, um, especially seen as they're censoring absolutely everything. However, if you did get a glimpse of the picture and you did have a guess, you may have got this one right. You may also have got it wrong. It wasn't the easiest picture in the world. But what we are covering this week is what is known in British naval history as the Mutiny on the Bounty. Now, HMS Bounty is or was a royal ship from a part of the Royal Navy and there was a mutiny on it. Now, the reason this is famous is because of what happened after the mutiny and what happened to the mutineers. So this is why this is quite a famous story. We will go into this uh, a little bit more, obviously. Now, this has been covered in books. It's quite a famous uh, story. But not many people know the real reasons behind it. So I'll give you a brief overview before we go into it. Essentially, the 28th of April, 1789, a crewman named Lieutenant Fletcher Christian took control of HMS Bounty as it left uh, one of the islands in the South Pacific. And he took over the ship and took it off Lieutenant William Bly. Now, the emphasis there is on the word Lieutenant William Bly because most people know him as Captain Bly or later Vice Admiral William Bly. So, at this point in history, he was only a lieutenant, even though he was the captain of the ship. And we'll go into details as to why he was the captain. We'll go into details as to why he trusted Lieutenant Fletcher Christian and why he didn't necessarily believe he would ever be mutineered against, with Fletcher Christian being his first mate on the ship. It's a very interesting story, 
and there is a lot of twists and turns uh, and a lot of detail to get into so this might be a slightly longer episode um, but I'll try and try and keep it as short as possible with as much detail as possible so firstly we're going to have a quick look at the lead mutineer which is Fletcher Christian now he was born he was born in a middle class family uh, not not really poor not very well off just you know run of the mill middle class um, unfortunately for Christian his father died when he was just four years old and his older brothers basically bankrupt the estate that was left leaving him with very very little money and basically no career prospects so at the age of 19 he realized that he had very little future and the only real way he had of making any money was to do what most men did at that time and that is to join the Royal Navy now as you may remember from some previous episodes majority of people join the Royal Navy at around sort of 12 to 15 years old so 19 years old is quite an old age to join the Royal Navy at this time now the life in the Navy is very hard and really you only get anywhere in the Navy is more to do with who you know rather than what you know and luckily for Fletcher Christian he had a family friend who was already in the Navy and was already an officer he was a lieutenant and this was Lieutenant William Bly so he wrote a letter to William Bly saying I want to join your ship I want to be part of your crew and I want to learn my trade with you is that okay William Bly obviously being a family friend replied yes and join me on on my next voyage and he gets him on board the next mission that they have which is aboard HMS Britannia which is a merchant vessel uh, traveling to the West Indies in 1786 now Lieutenant Bly was a very good mentor to Fletcher Christian um, and that was basically because he'd been in the Navy since 15 years old and he traveled all around the world he was one of the best navigators in the Navy and he really knew his stuff so for someone to learn from uh, William Bly was a fantastic mentor to anyone and especially when that man is a family friend it made a huge difference to their relationship now William Bly obviously knowing how good he was uh, became very arrogant he was a very arrogant man very up himself and always believed that he was the one that was in the right so this sort of he, he was a good mentor in the sense that you know you could learn a lot from him um, however if you sort of crossed him or got on the wrong side of him he was extremely angry extremely volatile um, and if you did something wrong uh, there was punishments involved and sort of um, quite quite verbal abuse in front of other other sailors and things like that he was not he wasn't subtle he was not the the nicest man to actually be on a ship with despite how good he was at actually being on a ship now Bly's temper has actually served him pretty badly in the past um, he actually served with the famous world famous captain James Cook uh, in 1780 he was a master on his ship and at the end of the voyage every officer in that uh, on that voyage was offered a promotion except for William Bly and this was due to his behavior and his conduct so um, he he had this personality the Navy were aware of it it wasn't just 
the crewmates on his ship that were aware of it, um, the Navy and the hierarchy and the Admiralty were very aware of the fact that William Bly was a bit of an arsehole. Now, Bly and Christian had a good relationship, so let's let's put the whole thing to, to one side. They've been on uh, two very successful um, trips to the West Indies, and together they were a very good match. They seemed to work very well with each other, and you know, um, Bly only had daughters, so he didn't ever have a son. Christian was obviously a lot younger. Um, his father died when he was very young. His grandfather died also when he was very young, so he had no male role models. They had sort of like this father-son relationship going on. Now, Christian was obviously quite aware of Bly's um, uh, attitude, uh, I suppose attitude or, or temper or, or whatever you want to use, but he was quite aware of this. Now, Fletcher Christian also had a small psychological disorder which meant that he formed attachments to people very very quickly and he expected people to behave in a certain way and when they didn't behave the way he was expecting them uh, it created like a volatile response from him now this isn't something he was really conscious of and it goes to goes a long way to explain how the mutiny actually happened because He's forming this attachment over these few years, being on board a ship with William Bly, who he's seeing in a fatherly role. He's seeing him as a, you know, someone to look up to, a, a mentor, someone who cares about him. And you know, he's not. You've got to remember at this point, Christian is an officer. Bly is just a senior officer. He's not a captain of a ship. He's just someone on the ship. So he, his attitude of bossing people around and things like that is more delegated to him to boss people around not him controlling the ship if that makes sense um if you can obviously think of a hierarchy when the captain blows it's normally the under the under officers that sort of try and you know put water on the fire a little bit and and calm it down so Bly is in this sort of a situation at this point rather than being a captain of his own ship now they return to London, and in 1787, there seems to be a financial crisis that's hitting Britain at this point, and that is the issue of slavery. Now, slavery was part of the British Empire, and at this point in time, Britain had uh, sugar plantations in the West Indies that were controlled, or not controlled, but they were worked on by slaves. Now, obviously, to keep the slaves, you had to feed them and water them and things like that. And obviously, sorry, I've made them sound like plants there. That's obviously not what I'm trying to do. But, um, you know, they had to feed these, these people. And the only way they could do that was by paying for the food. Now, in this instance, they had that many slaves. It was actually costing so much money to the British economy to feed the slaves that they were having a crisis as to how they were going to afford this. One thought process was for a Royal Navy merchant ship to travel to Tahiti to ca catch, no, to pick what's called breadfruit. Now, essentially it is fruit that tastes like bread. And the plan is 
to load the ships up with this breadfruit and take it to the plantations in the West Indies and that would suffice feeding people. Um, this was sort of seen as a bit of a, an, an out there plan but it was something that the Admiralty thought yeah okay this might actually work. The Navy took this idea and they managed to purchase an old coal ship which was uh, it was actually named the Collier Berthia so I don't actually know what that means but that's what it was called the Collier Berthia um, they revamped it recommissioned it as HMS Bounty and the Admiralty request that 33 year old Lieutenant William Bly should captain the ship on his first voyage in charge of a vessel Obviously, William Bly is jumping up and down saying, yeah, 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 I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Because this is his first real opportunity to prove himself as a captain in the Navy. Um, even though he's not got the rank of captain, uh, a, a successful voyage will almost certainly guarantee that promotion for him. Now, the funny thing is, is he was actually selected to take this mission on because one he is one of the best navigators in the royal navy two he has all the skills of a captain because he's been around the navy for uh, what's 18 years at this point uh, he knows exactly what he's doing to run a ship but he costs half the price of a captain because he's only a lieutenant so the royal navy is being very very clever here they're sending him out to do it knowing that actually he's uh he's basically doing it on on a on a budget you know he's he's the cheap version and that's why he was picked it's not necessarily because he was the best man for the job he was the cheapest man for the job so william bligh takes on this challenge now it's it is down to him to recruit a crew for this mission and one of the most important positions on his crew is the captain's first mate and for this, he picks his good friend, Fletcher Christian. And it only takes him till October. But in October 1787, he is fully crewed and ready to leave. Now, the ship is ready. However, they have witnessed every other ship in the harbour leave. And the Admiralty is dragging its heels on letting the bounty go. And William Bly is getting pissed. Real pissed. And there's letters and documents of what he wrote at the time to back this up if uh, his letters had actually got out he probably would have lost his job or at least have been charged with insubordination so his letters were quite volatile to the admiralty and although it doesn't seem like a big deal that he was sat on uh, on dock for a, for a few weeks it gave an opportunity for Fletcher Christian to be on board um, now he actually was off the ship on a certain day and he met his brother and this is a chance encounter because uh, his brother's ship actually managed to dock at the same harbour and whilst he was in one of the pubs he bumped into his brother and his brother had come up, um, off a ship called HMS Middlesex now this encounter might not seem like a big deal however from historical sources we can work out that pretty much the one thing that they would have talked about 
was the mutiny that happened on HMS Middlesex because the captain of HMS Middlesex was basically a bully. He was violent to the crew, he was very aggressive, and the crew mutinied. And the uh, the outcome of, of that, the captain was actually fired. Now, the mutineers, obviously, in this instance, prevailed, and it seemed like they sort of got away with it. So the last thing that Fletcher Christian sort of understands or listens to before he leaves dock is that a mutiny on a ship is not necessarily the death sentence that it used to be if the captain is that way inclined to be that negative and cause that to happen. So they leave in 17, uh, 1787, they leave in December, and the crew, it takes them about a month, but come January the following year, they are pretty much in in a routine of what to do, how to, to do everything correctly on the ship, and, and it starts to work a little bit better. So you've got to remember, he's put this crew together, although they know what they're doing, it takes them a little bit of time to, to work it as a team, and now, month into the voyage, they're really starting to work as a team. Now, William Bly wrote in his diary that, sort of a month into the voyage, uh, everything's going well, the crew are well fed, they're doing good jobs, uh, the crew are very happy and singing and everything's, you know, sunshine and roses and, you know, rainbow farts and everything like that. You know, he's real painted a really good picture. And that's what, you know, he is there as a captain, that's what he's supposed to do, he's supposed to keep a log. Um, the problem is, it's taken a few years, but they have recovered other diaries and logs of other sailors, which tell a different story. And this was a few years after the the bounty and everything had happened. They they found this uh, these stories, and one event was uh, recorded by James Morrison, one of the uh, the sailors. He was a boatswain on the ship, and. This was in, like I said, in February. The evidence from this basically shows um, doing a routine inspection of the ship. Captain Bly found there were two blocks of cheese. And I'm assuming these were big blocks, not just your little 500 gram blocks that we buy now. I'm assuming these were quite big uh, blocks of cheese that had gone missing. And he immediately accused the crew of thievery. One of the crew members stood up and said, Don't you remember, Captain, just before we left, you asked us to put these in your house. And to this, William Bly shot across the deck, shoved his fist in the man's face and said, If you utter another word, I'm going to flog you or whip you. Um, these are obviously events that were not put into his journal. He does other things um, there's evidence to suggest that he took the bread rations away from the sailors uh, and replaced it with pumpkins that were pretty much rotten or going off um, you know he did a lot of things that alienated him as a captain um, purely on the basis that he was he was a bit of a twat the main reason he did shit like that was to save money the more money he could save the more money he got to, to keep basically so the crew 
obviously knew this and they, they know, you know, you've been around the Navy at this time, you know what goes on and what doesn't go on. You know when a captain is is there for the for the crew or when a captain is there to line his own pockets and this was coming across to the crew like that's all he was there for was to make m- as much money as possible for himself and that just alienates him even further luckily for William Bly the one man who manages to keep peace is Fletcher Christian now Christian is a very good officer and he has the respect of the men and this is basically the most important thing on a naval vessel even now uh, even nowadays you know the captain needs to have the respect of the sailors underneath him and Fletcher Christian was pretty much the only one keeping a lid on things at this point in the voyage now the crew are sailing they're sailing under Brazil this was the plan to come from England down under Brazil around the bottom and up to Tahiti that way they realize at a certain point in the journey that this isn't actually going to happen Sublai changes course and they go under the Cape of Good Hope under South Africa and somewhere around here they they dock and Fletcher Christian asks William Bly if he can borrow some money so he can buy his family some gifts and when they're back at port in England he will obviously repay that money because obviously whilst they're at sea they only take what's with them they don't get paid while they're on the ship they get paid when they get back so he doesn't have any money on him but the captain of the ship has some money now it might seem like a simple simple act this is his friend this is someone he's been on ships with for years and you know can I borrow 20 quid probably not really a big deal I don't know if it was 20 quid by the way I don't know how much money it was for those of you who don't know a quid and a pound are the same thing so 20 pound to 20 quid it's exactly the same thing it's just a a nickname I suppose a slang term for pound so anyway back on course he's borrowed some money he goes and buys some presents for his family and for the next few days William Bly is constantly badgering Fletcher Christian about the loan when are you going to pay it back make sure you pay it back don't forget to pay me back over and over again now the problem with this is suggesting to a victorian gentleman or this time victorian no georgian sorry getting me monarchs mixed up there Uh, to a georgian gentleman in in this time to basically tell him that he's not going to pay his debt or to question whether he's going to pay his debt is basically it's an honor thing he they're basically he's attacking Fletcher Christian's character by suggesting that he may not be able to pay it back or that he may forget or something like that it's attacking the man's character which is not something that he was you know he he didn't appreciate that it's it's a little minor thing but when you add all the little minor things up together all of a sudden it becomes a big deal now these problems all seem to disappear uh, in October 1778 because they finally spot the island of Tahiti. Now, Tahiti is a paradise. Uh, for anybody who's been, I've never been, but it, it, even now it's a paradise. Back then, it was even more of a paradise. It had um, gorgeous beaches, nothing was touched you know there was no pollution at all. I mean there's very little there now anyway but you know what I mean is 
this was a uh, it was just a pure paradise the women absolutely gorgeous for a sailor who's been on on board a ship for almost a year this was well this was a parrot this really was you know this was every man's fantasy to come off a ship onto an island of beautiful women and this is exactly what was happening in Tahiti and they sort of forgot their problems really you know every, everything that had happened on the ships was you know you forget about it they they you know we we found land let's let bygones be bygones and we'll just get on with the job that we've got and also let's enjoy these beautiful women while we're here that was pretty much the attitude of the sailors now fletcher christian really took to this island um he actually started to learn the language you got to remember they weren't there for like a couple of days they spent a good couple of months on this island um he learnt the language he slept with the women he even had uh what was uh, a maori tattoo done now for those of you who don't know um for any of you who do have tattoos the maori tattoos that are done in sort of this area of the world they are done with a shark's tooth attached to a stick attached to another stick which they hit repeatedly into your skin and it is possibly one of the most painful ways of ever getting a tattoo done in the entire world and if you look at most maori warriors uh, they have these on their face so you know these are these are real these are really painful tattoos um and yeah christian even got one of these done and if i am right because my father-in-law actually wants one of these done properly um you actually have to be invited to get them you can't just walk onto the island and say give me a tattoo you you really have to be part of their culture to actually be accepted to have this type of a tattoo done so it really goes to show how how much he did immerse himself into the culture of tahiti to to almost to the point where he was accepted by the local people now tahiti was a or i don't know what it still is but it was at this time a very very laid back country and although a lot of the sailors spent a lot of the time on the ship some sailors like fletcher christian uh, immersed themselves in the culture that they were around uh, to the point that three men actually decided to take a rowing boat and desert the bounty they tried to leave because they actually preferred the life on tahiti to the royal navy and let's be honest guys if you spent 10 months on a sailing ship working your absolute ass off for a captain who's screaming and shouting at you all the time all of a sudden you find land with beautiful women gorgeous food beautiful scenery you know are you going to want to go back i don't think i would you know i'll be quite happy i'm staying there the problem is obviously william bligh finds out that these guys have deserted he hunts them down finds them and then flogs them on the ship in front of everyone else what he doesn't realize is that this is the first basically the first catalyst to the mutiny that is about to happen on the bounty and this is because people or the the guys on the ship 43 crewmen on the ship just they weren't happy you know they weren't happy with what was going on they weren't happy with the captain and they 
they liked the island that they were on, so they would prefer not to go back with him, pretty much. But obviously, that's not how it works in the Royal Navy. After five months on Tahiti, the ship is ready to leave. And, you know, you've got to remember, five months, these guys, they've not just slept with these women. A lot of these guys have actually formed relationships with some of the women on the island. Um, it's even possible to go as far as saying some of the women were carrying uh, babies that, that were to do with men on the bounty. Um, you know, it wouldn't be impossible to think that. I, I don't know for a fact, by the way. Um, I'm just saying it's, you know, the, there was a lot of emotion after five months of, of leaving this island. Now, with them being or spending five months on the island, the crew was drastically out of shape. They had no real cohesion on what they were doing. And, you know, Captain Blythe realized, shit, this is going to be hard work. I'm going to have to whip them back into shape. Um, you know, it took them a month to get it. And the first instance, I can't be doing with another month of them fucking about. This has got to be sorted out now. So he puts his foot down. He starts being a dick again. Now, the problem he has now is in that five-month period of being on land, Fletcher Christian has grown up a lot. He's immersed a different culture. He's enjoyed things that he probably didn't enjoy back in England. Um, and by that, I do mean women and possibly things that Georgian women wouldn't have done at that time that uh, Tahitian woman may have done. Um, there is evidence to suggest things, the sexual experiences that were slightly different in Tahiti to what you'd find in England. So, you know, he's grown up. You know, he's really he's become a man. And one thing that a British man doesn't do very well is take shit from another man. And unfortunately, I kind of sympathise with him on that. Um, and he doesn't. He didn't take shit. You know, he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't take the rubbish of the the crap that he was throwing out at him, the bollockings that he was giving all the time, and he he started to argue back. Now this is a man who five months previously was Bly's little lapdog and would do anything he said and had a, a good yes yes sir no sir relationship now has grown a pair of balls and turned around and gone don't talk to me like that and you can see the tensions are really starting to rise and they're only a few days or a few weeks into the journey back to England now to make matters worse for William Bly and his crew is they come across a small island, uh, a Tongan island, and I can't pronounce the name, um, so you'll have to Google it. Um, and this island, they are sent aboard, they send a landing party on to basically collect some supplies, some wood, some, uh, some fruit, just a little bit extra, just so they've got enough to get them back. And they get onto land, and when they get there, they are attacked by the natives on the land. They return to the ship empty-handed, and William Bly kicks off. How the hell can you let these savages, um, you know, how can you let these guys send you back with nothing? You had weapons, they had spears, blah, 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 blah. 
how are you managed you're a shame on the royal navy etc 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 so again he's just not he's just digging his grave even deeper unfortunately for Bly the head of this landing party was Fletcher Christian so he said to him again you know he's shouting at him how can you blah 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 can you let this happen what he forgets is that William Bly actually gave orders to Fletcher Christian not to use firearms on the island when he actually tells the captain hang on a minute mate you're the one that told me not to use the firearms just because we've got them you said don't use them he calls him a coward now I mean nowadays let's be honest a coward is nothing it's not really a big deal replace that with another C word and imagine how you'd react and that is pretty much how Fletcher Christian took this he really saw this as a huge massive insult a coward would have well it, it would have been a, a probably a duel or a, a fight but unfortunately you're not allowed to do that on a ship so he's he's raging with Bly now Christian's absolutely raging with what's going on to make matters worse a few days later William Bly asks Christian how many coconuts he has why have you you know where I'm I'm out of coke I've lost coconuts out of my stores um there's some missing blah 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 what have you done with them and Christian replies, hang on a minute, Captain, I haven't done anything. You wouldn't really think that I would steal coconuts. And he charges at him, puts his hand in his face, says, yes, I believe you would take them, you bloody thief. So, again, this is another huge insult from the captain to his first first mate, second in command. And again, these are not... These are times where, you know, thief and coward are huge insults. It's got to a point now where Bly's really lost control of what he's saying. And he's really lost control of Fletcher Christian. You know, Christian's got no respect for him anymore. Now, the night of the 27th of April, Fletcher Christian is ready to kill himself. Now, he rips up his Royal Navy papers. He throws them overboard. And he's ready to jump into the sea on a mini raft and get as far away from William Bly as physically possible. One of the other crew members sees him and says to him, you can't do this. You know, if if you leave, the men are ripe for anything. This is what he said, the men are ripe for anything. Now, that can be taken two ways. It can be taken in a sense that now the first way I heard that was what he's saying is Christian, you are the man who's keeping a lid on William Bly. If you go, we're all fucked. Christian took it a different way. He took it, the men are ripe for anything, the men are up for a mutiny. And the following night, April the 28th, William Bly awoke to a sword to his throat and a raging Fletcher Christian. Fletcher Christian takes him on deck. He tells him to shut up, says if he does anything, if he makes any sound, he's going to put him through, he's going to put the sword through him, he's going to kill him. Now, William Bly, being a British man, probably does what majority of British men would do in this situation, and go, go on then, do it. <laughs> to which Christian doesn't. He 
called his bluff and it worked. He sort of gets a bit more sanity and realizes actually if I kill this man, things could be a lot worse for me. Um, they only had roughly about 11 or 12 mutineers, but that's enough to take the ship. The ship only had 43 men on board anyway. Some neutral, um, some just not interested, and you know, 11 for 11 or 12 on the side of Fletcher Christian. And what he does is he lowers the largest lifeboat off bounty, which is a 10 seater, and he forces William Bly and 18 other men, so there's 19 on this boat, to get into the boat. And he sails away into the distance. And he leaves William Bly and 19 men in the middle of the ocean to fend for themselves. Apparently, there were even some crew members on the ship who wanted to go into the lifeboat with William Bly because they were royalists or royalists or loyalists. I suppose both the same, really. Um, loyal to the captain and loyal to the royal family. The thing is, if you're a mutineer, a lot of the time this this was a death sentence in in Britain. So. There were there were men on the ship that were saying no let me go with the captain let me go with the captain obviously there was no room in the lifeboat so it was tough shit you stay on the ship William Bly and his crew in this tiny little lifeboat are now in the middle of the ocean and he uses his navigational skills and comes across the island of Tofua which isn't too far away from where they're dropped now unfortunately they land on the island and are immediately attacked by the locals you've got to remember at this time in history britain has used australia and the surrounding islands as prisons because they had nowhere to send criminals so we sent them to australia um they inhabited the lands they did you know they tortured and raped and pillaged and you know, as soon as these guys on this island see a small boat full of white men coming on board, coming aboard their shore, and then they realise they don't have firearms on them, that was it. That was a that was a green light to to attack, and that's what they did. Uh, they actually managed to lose a sailor as well. He was murdered uh, on on the island, um, and they got they got back in their lifeboat and they had to row away. So. The one place that was anywhere near where they were that could have offered them any sort of sanctuary, um, they weren't. They, there was no way they could have stayed there. They would have been. They'd have all been killed. And Bly realizes where they are, and the nearest friendly port for them is on the island of Timor, which is a Dutch port. And unfortunately for him, it is three thousand six hundred miles away. And they've got a rowing boat. So this is a long way. It's got a little sail. You know, there's a lifeboat. It's got oars, but I think it's got maybe one sail on it. It's really not It's really not a boat built for that sort of a journey. William Bly was a master navigator. They only had five days worth of food, but he was confident that they could make this journey. 30, oh, sorry, 13, 3,600 miles with five days worth of food in a glorified rowing boat. Yeah, it doesn't sound possible, does it? Across an open ocean, very, very minimal navigational uh, equipment, 
We remember most of it was left on the ship. It's not easy to navigate without the equipment we have nowadays anyway. It's even harder when you've barely got anything to actually navigate with. You know, he he was in a situation where shit was really hitting the fan. They had to ration out the food so it would last as long as physically possible. Uh, there was even an account of one day they actually managed to catch a seagull by hand, um, which they killed. They used the blood. They gave the blood to the three men on the boat who were basically the the thirstiest that were were going to die of thirst. He gave the blood to them, and he divided the rest of the seagull beak, entrails, feet, everything into eighteen pieces and shared it amongst the men. And they had that with their bread and water. So this was not uh, it's not easy. This was something that. They, the men really had to fight for every mile that they were traveling on this ocean. But after 41 days of sailing, 3,618 miles, his crew arrive at Timor. Now, you can't underestimate how amazing this actually is. For a, a man to have been kicked off his own ship, to be left with a handful of people... A boat built for 10 carries 19. One man is killed on an island that they try and get to. He realises there's 3,600 miles to the next safe island. And they've got to battle all the weather, all the storms, everything like that. In a tiny, tiny little rowing boat. They make five days worth of rations last 41 days. And they navigate 3,600 miles without any navigational equipment really this is one of the greatest naval things that's ever happened and it's very very under talked about when you think about how much they had to do in such a you know in in almost impossible circumstances this has got to be one of the greatest seafaring incidences ever so you might be wondering now well what actually happened to the bounty well the bounty went back to Tahiti. It's not where they wanted to go. They tried to land on another island, but again were attacked by the locals and couldn't stay there. So they went back to Tahiti. Now, the problem is, is Christian knew that to stay on Tahiti is a death sentence. That's where the Royal Navy know that the bounty is. That's the first place they're going to look for any mutineers or anything to find out what's happened. you got to remember, they didn't know, Britain didn't know that this mutiny had happened and Christian didn't know that Bly was alive so they had no idea um, but he knew that the first place the Royal Navy would look for answers on anything would be Tahiti so him and his 24 crew they go back to Tahiti anyway and 16 of the 24 crew decide to take that risk and to stay on the island the other eight continue with Fletcher Christian to pastures new now on march 17th 1790 so we're going forwards a little bit here william bligh finally returns to england now obviously everyone in england now wants to know what's going on how come he's turned back on a dutch ship why is he not on bounty so william bligh 
does his memoirs and he's, he, he creates his own little journal of what's happened. He gives it to the Admiralty. And in October 1790, he is exonerated of any crimes. He's done nothing wrong. It's not his fault that the bounty was lost, basically. And that is because he's given his account before anybody else has given an account. And he has come across, actually, quite good, considering there was a mutiny on his ship. And in October, he's actually promoted officially to the rank of captain. Now, Fletcher Christian was absolutely right. The first place the Royal Navy looked, once they'd had Bly's account, was Tahiti. They sailed there, and in 1791, they arrested 10 British sailors who were on the bounty. They arrested them and brought them back to tr for trial in England. And in 1782, they were trialed for mutiny in England. Now, the ironic thing about this is the main witness to this is Captain Bly. He's actually not there. He's on his second voyage to Tahiti to get breadfruit. Um, so he's he's got to redo redo what he fucked up basically. Um, so it gives the soul the sailors or soldiers they they are sailors they're not soldiers but to it gives them the ability to speak freely without the captain being there, and they get to give their account of what happened. You know, at the end of the day, they're on trial. The chances are they're all going to meet the hangman's noose. Well, they might as well get their point across whilst they're there. Now, this might sound a bit strange, but out of the ten men who were on trial for mutiny, four were found not guilty, six were found guilty. Out of the six that were found guilty, three of them were pardoned by the king, the other three were hung. It sounds a bit bizarre to me, the fact that they were all on trial for the same thing, they were all involved, but yet three of them are hung and seven of them basically got away scot-free. I don't know. I'm not a justice system, but yeah, that seems a bit a bit weird to me, a bit harsh on those three, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least in this instance, the court and the admiralty got to hear the story of the mutineers and, and actually maybe understand why this happened. And throw some real doubt on William Bly's account of everything. When William Bly returns to England in 1793, he's expecting a hero's welcome. And that's not the reception he gets, because people now know that he was a dick and a pretty shit captain. And when he gets to England, what the Admiralty does, the first thing they do, normally they would request to see the captain to talk to him and, and find out how the, the the voyage went what they actually did was they asked for his first mate, his second in command and Bly is now realising, hang on a minute what's going on here, and this is basically, he, he knows something now, do you know what I mean, he knows that, why are they talking to him and not me, are they trying to get information, he then comes across a pamphlet that's written by Fletcher Christian's brother, George and this basically says that Bly is the reason for the mutiny not Christian and this is public opinion now so it's it's because Bly's not been there for a few years public opinion has completely changed and even the Admiralty is questioning his recent sailors as to whether he's still this dick of a captain now William Bly's entire naval career 
is questioned after that. Now, he does eventually rise to the rank of Vice Admiral, like I said, but it's not without controversy. So he actually goes on to have quite a successful naval career after this, but he's always known as the guy who had the mutiny that was all his fault on the bounty. And that's that's something that he had to carry with him for the rest of his life. Fletcher Christian, on the other hand, apparently wrote a book in 1796. This was uh, it was done in one of the New York New York sorry in one of the London newspapers um, and it said these were the books the memoirs of Fletcher Christian now we don't know whether this is true or not there were rumors that Christian was seen in London um, that's we don't know we don't believe that was the case no one believes that was the case um, and no one actually really historically believes that these letters or these books that were written apparently by Fletcher Christian were actually written by him because there's no real evidence to suggest they were it's more likely someone just trying to make some money off the name 10 years after the event actually happened that's more likely but it did create a bit of a buzz in 1796 in regards to this because obviously it's not something that people had heard about for a long time and they were they were interested you know it, it became interesting again the story became became interesting so you may be wondering what actually happened to Fletcher Christian well in 1808 there was an American ship that actually came across a tiny little island called Pitcairn Island when they anchored the ship it was a it was a seal hunting ship when they anchored the ship off the the island, Pitcairn Island, there was a canoe that rowed out to them. And to the captain's surprise, on this canoe was three white men who spoke English. This is not what he expected to see in the South Pacific. When the Americans land on the, the island, they notice that the island has one man, 20 children and four women living on the island. That's it no one else that's that's all that's there and the reason they speak english is because the one man is english now basically they the americans go oh you know hang on hang on how's this happened what's gone on and the man on the island mr smith basically explains that when they left tahiti the mutineers took 12 women and six men off the island they kidnapped them and found this island in the middle of of the ocean called Pitcairn. Now, Christian knew from his experience in the Navy that Pitcairn Island actually doesn't exist on the British maps, and therefore he knew it was safe. They scuttled the bounty uh, so no one could ever see where the bounty was, and obviously in doing so, they basically set themselves for a life on Pitcairn Island. Uh, over a bit of time, the mutineers or the the English started to treat the natives. Oh, I suppose they're not natives, but the Tahitians um, on Pitcairn Island as slaves. Basically, they they just treated them as slaves to the point that the Tahitians fought back. 
and basically killed everyone on the island apart from apart from Smith and that is pretty much what happened to them they they lived there for maybe a couple of years and then they were all they were all murdered now believe it or not Pitcairn Island is actually still a British island and it still has people living on it and the people who live on it now are the descendants of the mutineers from the bounty so Pitcairn Island you can google it you can even travel there I'm not sure what there is to do there but you can even travel there if you wanted to but Pitcairn Island still exists still inhabited by the British um, so yeah that is the story of William Bly Fletcher Christian and the mutiny on the bounty so let me know what you think it's a different different episode this week I think something slightly uh, slightly more well still history isn't it it's slightly more entertaining I don't know do you find it more entertaining or do you find the battles and wars more entertaining I don't know no one you know I haven't had any messages for a long time off you guys so I know you're still listening because I'm still getting me downloads um so I know this I know you're still out there but uh you you guys have been very quiet the last few weeks it's uh it's a bit strange I don't know what's going on um I say it every week we have had a bit of a lull uh recently in Patreon um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, some some of you guys have have left, um, and obviously that that's entirely up to you guys. The one thing I will ask is: um, is there a reason? If you if you're still listening, if if you stop listening to me entirely or or whatever, but if you are still listening, just drop us a message and just let me know why you've left Patreon. Um, the reason is because I've had people join and people leave at the same time. Um, and I just want to know, really, um, is there? Is it because of the episodes? Is it because of the content? Uh, is there another reason for it? Is it something I've done? Um, or if you guys are not on Patreon and you want to know, you know, how to get on it, or you want to, you want a specific episode to be uploaded, uh, they they normally go onto Patreon the requests. Um, so you know you'll need to get over to there we are starting a serial killer um, season soon on on that so you'll have to have a keep an eye out because I have found a very very interesting serial killer for the first episode on Patreon and it's one I've had to learn about Um, and it is really really fascinating and it's also one I don't know of many podcasts who have ever covered this serial killer um so you'll have to keep an eye out it's going to be a really really gory but interesting episode um just going to flash back a little bit to this episode so we're we're talking uh when this happened is 1789 so just want to give you guys a little bit of perspective on what was happening around the world in 1789 firstly you guys probably know this better than I do, but George Washington was sworn in as the first president of the United States. In Paris, there was a riot and a mob that stormed Bastille Prison, which was the the uh, ignition to the French Revolution. And also, the Austrian Netherlands, which was a country, declared its independence and became Belgium. 
So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of things that were going on around the globe whilst this mutiny was happening in 1789. So, yeah, get yourselves onto Patreon, get yourselves onto Facebook, drop me a message. If there's anything you want to listen to, anything you want to know, I said it last week, if you even want to come on the show, let me know, drop me a message, we'll get you on it. Uh, we do have email it's twihpod at gmail.com or search This Week in History on Facebook or Patreon and if you want to make any donations to the show I have had a couple of you uh, you've asked not to be shouted out um, which I totally respect if you do want to make a donation to the show um, just drop me a message and I'll give you my PayPal link because we have had a few and I really really appreciate that guys so yeah Let me know. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. I'm disgusting. Oh, house, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.